Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, if you recall two weeks ago, um, well, actually it was last week, we said goodbye to Noah. Okay, Noah was 950 years old, so Noah lived really, really long. We learned a lot from Noah. But going back a little bit further, we learned a lot really in all of Genesis chapter 1 through 9. I mean, we learned about it. I mean, think about this, guys. For the first two chapters in the book of Genesis, they were amazing. I mean, God creates all these things. There's this beautiful garden hanging out with, was just amazing. It was just, this is cool. I mean, God's making all of this stuff and, and he's creating out of nothing. And God said, let there be. And there it was. And, and then we see that God made what? Then he made Adam, right? And Eve and he created mankind and put them in the garden. And of course, up until Genesis chapter two, everything's amazing. But then we have Genesis chapter three. And here's what we learned. We discovered, guys, that sin enters the world. And here's what I want you to see. If you're taking out, put this down somewhere because I believe it just, it needs to be in our hearts so that we can live a godly life. You go, what's that? Sin fractures everything and everyone. We have to grasp that. The reason we have to grasp that, guys, so we don't play so, we're not, we're not playing so close to sin that we're like, oh, look at me. I'm, I can, listen, I'm gonna, I'm on a tightrope over sin. No, no. Okay. I'm just kidding. We need to go. This is sin and it fractured everything and I'm going to back away. And that's exactly what happened. It fractured everything. In Genesis chapter 3, 7 through 13, it says, the eyes of them, what? After sin, the eyes of them were both open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam hid his, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Isn't that a sad verse? Isn't that a sad verse? Here they once had beautiful fellowship. And here's what sin does. Sin separates us from a holy God. It just does. And now, this, now all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, we've sinned. And God goes, hey, Adam. He's like, ah! And, and that's how we are, guys. That's how we are. And, and he says, he says, that's what happened. He said, then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Isn't that amazing? What's the very first thing we see? Blame shifting. Right there. Um, Lord, did you, Adam, did you eat? It was Tiffany. It, that's basically what's happening. See, we got another Adam over here. Adam, did you eat? Man, it was Amy. Amy gave me some food. I don't know what it was. That's what he's doing. And he's blaming. But let's take it in context. Let's, let's, let's pull it out just a little bit. Isn't that what we do when we're busted with sin? Start blaming somebody else. Oh, Lord, if you, you don't know my wife. If you knew my wife, I mean, come on. She's, she made me, you know, and it's like, no, take responsibility. And he says, the woman that you gave me to be with. And so the Lord God said to, to the woman, what is this that you have done? And of course, what did she do? And the woman said, it was the serpent who deceived me. And I ate. So he blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. You guys know the story, right? It's sin, fractures, everything. You can almost feel it, right? It fractures the earth. It fractures everything within us. And then later on, guys, we learn that man, what? I mean, through... Throughout the time, he's become evil and wicked. And here's what we learn in Genesis chapter 6, 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Think about this, guys. The first thing we need to jot down in our notes is that wickedness and evilness grieves the heart of my God. The evilness and the wickedness that, that's, that's in my heart always grieves God. Because he's, I mean, think, look, look, guys, look. He said every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. We can just say this, sin grieves God. Sin grieves God. Of course, he's looking down, and you all know what happened, right? God called Noah, right, to be his instrument of righteousness. Noah, yes, sir, I want you to build an ark. Why, Lord? Because I'm going to flood the earth, we're going to see. And God was going to kill everyone and everything on the earth. Why? Well, notice what he said. The Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And we learned, we can learn so much from that. And he said, now listen, the only people that will be saved are those that are in the ark. Those are the only people. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned from Noah, right? God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all the flesh, this is verse 12 of chapter 6, he corrupted all the way through. And Noah said, and God said to Noah, the end of, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So here's the thought, okay? Here's my thought. God, the same God who looked upon the earth way back in Noah's day. Okay, here's what you want to do. You want, you want to close your eyes for a moment. You want to go back all the way to Noah's day. God looks down, and, and the same God who, who, who's looking at that says this. Listen, the, that mankind was corrupt. And he said, for all flesh was corrupt on the earth. And it was filled with violence. And here's my thought. I wonder if today God sees the same things. I wonder if God's looking down on the earth today and, and, you know, he made a promise. He made a promise not to flood the earth again. He gives us the rainbow and he made that promise. And every time you see that rainbow, man, you can just thank the Lord. It's like, thank you, Lord. But for him, he's going, okay, that's my covenant that I'm not going to flood the earth. But I wonder what he sees on the earth today. I wonder what he looks, what he's looking at. And we can see that the world is changing faster than we can even imagine. We can see that, that I mean, even, I mean, in, in, in New York last week, you know, we, New York State passes a, a bill where you can have an abortion all the way up to the very end. And as long as the baby doesn't take a breath, you can, well, here's what they'll do. They'll poison the baby even at nine months, right before it's supposed to come out, and that way it can die on the table and it's not murder. And that's, and that's evilness in the heart. Yet the Bible tells us, guys, that we need to be the voice of the voiceless. We as a church need to stand up and say, that's wrong. That's wrong. There are so many people that go, man, we would adopt a baby right now. We would, we would adopt him. And, there's, and, and, and again, guys, think about it. We, this, I wonder what God is thinking. I wonder what, and he's looking down and he sees, and he sees mankind going, listen, I don't want God. I just, I identify with whatever I want to identify with, and that's who I am. No, this is how God made you. He made you specifically in, with your DNA, and that's who you are. And, and I just wonder, not to mention the violence in the world and the wickedness. And the wickedness. And guys, man, just even in our, in our city, it's getting bad. You know? 15 years ago, when we landed here, I mean, it was, it was like one of the safest places to be, and now you... You get your 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 uh, app alert, and you, you found a dead body here, and shots fired, and in our city, 
And it's just like, wow. And I just wonder, as God looked down, what does he see? Does he see the same things? And I think, you know what? This verse is very weighty, is it not? It's a very weighty verse. Notice, all flesh had corrupted their way, and things on earth were not good. Well, we know the story. In chapter 7, we learn that God floods the earth, right? Only eight people survive. Only eight people survive the flood. And here's my thought. If we pay, if we pay really close attention, God is constantly offering an invitation to join his family. Here's my point. My point was, why were only eight people saved? Well, the one thing I want to do is I draw your attention to the number eight because it's the number of new beginnings. God says, this is going to be good. I'm going to start over brand new eight people. Eight is the number of new beginnings. So God wants to give us a new beginning. He knows that we're going to blow it. He knows that we're going to make mistakes, but he always wants us to give us a new beginning. That's the first thing. The second thing is Noah is the preacher of righteousness, the Bible says, and I bet he was going, come on, guys, get in the ark. Come on, it's going to flood. Noah, you're crazy. Listen, you haven't even planted a vineyard yet and got drunk, and now you're acting drunk. What do you mean it's going to flood? There's not a cloud in the sky. It hasn't been rain here forever. Come on, and Noah's going, please get in the ark, please. This is the only way you're going to be saved. This is the only way you're going to be, come on, listen, come on, listen. Well, no, because if I get in the ark, oh, no, then I'll have to help you. No, listen, you have to tell me, just, just be ready to go. Just be ready to go when I tell you, just be ready. Just be ready. And see, he gives an invitation. And, and I believe, guys, today, if we'll just, if we'll just, if we'll pay really close attention, God is always offering an invitation to join his family. In other words, here's what I want you to see. God is still calling people to get saved. He's still calling people to get saved. People who are far away from him. He's still calling them to get saved. Oh, how people need to hear that invitation. Listen, church, this is a work of God's Holy Spirit. And he wants to use us. But here's the problem. People won't come to the Lord unless we give them an invitation. And don't be afraid. that They're, they're not rejecting you. Oh, man, I went out and I was telling people about Jesus and they're like, they laughed in my face and they mocked and... That's okay. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. Let me say this to you. How did you get saved? Somebody told me. Somebody prayed for Somebody told me about Amen, right? And that's, that's how I got saved. Pastor Self, you, he tells the story of nobody ever told him the gospel. And then and he's like, man, how could I go 30 years without anyone ever sharing the gospel? See, we got to share. And when Soph, I mean, Soph, I don't know if he, if he shared his testimony or not, but the thing about it is that, think about it. Think about it, guys. Here's, here's, here's a man that was after the world and going forward, and when he heard the gospel, God softened his heart. And he, and he brought him, just like us. That's why we're here today. Because we heard the invitation. And you know what we did? We put, check mark, I'll attend. I'm in. I'm in. I want Jesus in my heart. See, Jesus, right? Well, the ark was the only, only way of salvation for Noah and his family. Well, of course, Jesus is our only salvation. As a matter of fact, John 14 and 6, you guys know this because we talked about it in our Sunday message. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the salvation is really easy. No one's going to get to heaven except through Jesus. Well, all, road leads, all roads lead to heaven, Ben. no. They don't. 
Jesus said, right? And we need to believe that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything is in Jesus and no one comes to the Father except through him. And that's where we got to come, through Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this, that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? How? Verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Here's where it starts, in our heart. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. Okay, your attention please. Oftentimes I'll say, hey, how many of you want to give your life to the Lord? I want to pray for you. So lift up your hand, their eyes are closed, the pastor pray for me. And I said, listen, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. I'm going to ask you to come stand right here because I want you to make a what? A confession with your mouth. Now the first thing I'll ever tell them is that words alone aren't sufficient to save. We could pray all day long, doesn't mean we're saved. Can I get an amen? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So what it means is it means that there has to be a heart change, but the confession is what starts. Listen, I confess that I that what he says right here, if you confess, confession is made unto salvation. And then in verse 13 of the same chapter of Romans 10, he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. That is only why we have him come forward and we lead him in a prayer. Me leading him in a prayer doesn't mean anybody's saved. It's God who does the saving. It's God who does the saving. We also learned, guys, moving on, that Noah, right? And I love this part. We learned from Noah was he was all about worship. He was all about worship. Okay? Noah worshiped before the flood. Everybody got that? He worshiped before the flood. In his job in building the ark, Noah worshiped. You you guys with me on this? Here's why. Here's what I want you to see. Listen. God, and you've heard me say this before, God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. Whatever you have coming out, whatever this life is going to take you, God is going to prepare you today. You guys with me? Okay. His preparation often starts with worship. His preparation often starts with worship. We're going to worship the Lord. Pastor, I'm in a good place right now, man. Life is good. And you're worshiping and you're just praising the Lord. That's, that's awesome. Because he wants to build the foundation for you to take the next step, even if it is a storm. Even if it's a storm, right? Because that's what happened to Noah. Why? Noah's got in the, he got in the ark. God closed the, the, the door. And now, what does Noah do? He's worshiping in the storm. Right? God is still God. During our worst trial. And I love the promise he gives us. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5b says, For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Guys, hold on to that promise. Hold on to that promise. God, the Lord Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. And even though we feel like he has and we feel like we're alone and we feel the The loneliness in our heart, God's right there. He's always been there. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I need you to apply, okay? What we know is we must learn. Everybody say learn. We must learn to worship in the storm. Why did you say learn? Guys, because i got to be honest with you. It's not easy to worship when the rain's coming down. It's not easy to worship when the wind is blowing, when there's lightning and there's thunder and the earth is opening up and flood. Flood, it floods our life even more. But here's what I want us to do. 
if we can learn to worship before the storm, okay, God, what are you preparing me for? And we can learn to worship in the storm. Here's what we want to learn, guys, that we would learn to worship in the good times and we would learn to worship in the bad times. Listen, for homework this week, I want you to read Psalm 42. Jot that down. I don't have time to go into it tonight because of Genesis 10 and 11, but let me give you a summary. The psalmist in Psalm 42 He questions the reason for his despair. He often says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Okay, so he's often, and and what, but what he does is he does something that I'm trying to teach you. The psalmist, he instructs himself in the hope of God. In the expression, he says, I will still praise him. And what that does, it signifies this inner determination and this forward-facing outlook. That's what he says. You go, what does he mean? He's worshiping in the storm. He's very, sometimes he's going, oh, why am I so down? Why am I so bummed? What is going on? But I'm just going to worship you, God. You're going to take me home. You're going you're to be my God, and I worship you. I worship you. I really didn't ask his permission, but my friend, one of my pastor's friend, and I'm just like, um, man, if, if, if it's not one thing, it's another in his life these days. I'll text him up, and I'll say, hey, how's it going? And and he'll tell me this happened, and they're kicking us out of here, and this happened, and this. And I just text him back. I said, "I'm praying." I mean, how much? How many times can I say I'm praying for you? I mean, it's like I'm praying for him, but then this time I just like you can't catch a break, can you? I just texted him on Monday. Hey, how you doing, bro? Praying for you. He said, "Me and the whole family caught the flu." I'm just like, right now, in the midst of this, I mean, his father-in-law is battling terminal cancer. Send him home with hospice. I mean, he's there's you know his wife is trying to help take care of the dad and and I mean just everything, everything, everything. And then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, we all caught the flu. And I'm just, boy, you can't get your break. That's a storm. Worship in the storm. You see, if God is preparing you today for your tomorrows, do me a favor. Start a journal. Because, because if you're over here in the storm, okay, and you've got the flu and things are going on and all, everything is just going, everything is just going south, you want to be able to go back and see where God was moving in your heart here. You want to go back and say, oh, I read my journal. Oh my gosh, I see how God was preparing me. I see how God was strengthening me here. I see how this is. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so now it gives you, it gives you the strength to worship. You gotta have a journal, guys. You gotta know what God is doing. Why? Because our memories are going. We don't remember how God was preparing us way back a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. But if I can get it down, okay, okay, worship in the storm. That's what Noah did. That's what Noah did. And then we see what did Noah do? And Noah worshiped after, right? As soon as the storm, sunny skies, wow. Blue sky, sun comes up. What does Noah? The first thing he does is he offers a sacrifice and he worships. Now, let's be honest. That's easier for me to do after the storm when I'm standing on solid ground than when I'm on a boat or a ship or an ark and the waves are tossing me to and fro. Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? It's easier. Oh, God brought me through. Hallelujah. God brought me through. Well, that was, you weren't saying that, you know, a week ago and you're going, Oh God, you're going to kill me. Why do you want to kill me? I, uh, you know, really, that's your worship. Well, it's kind of like worship. 
I surrender, God, please. How many of us have prayed, Lord, just take me home. Just take, listen, I'm done. I'm good. I'm ready to go because we're, we need to worship in the storm. Can I get an amen? We need to worship after the storm. What else did we learn from Noah? Well, last week we learned, guys, that Noah was also human. He was human. And although he was called righteous and blameless by God, Noah still blew it. How? He planted a vineyard, right? What did he do? He got drunk. The dude got drunk. Right? A little bit of wine, a little bit more wine, a little bit more wine, a little bit more wine. You know, and he stripped off all his clothes and he laid naked in his tent. Now, the thing that I want you to see, and you learned this last week, he was naked in his tent. Somebody knew he was naked in his tent and then Ham went in there. Who was it? You know? Note to children, when mom and dad's door is closed, don't go in there. That's just note, okay? That's just note, right? Because, because again, well, how did he know? How did, how did someone come? Hey, dad, what are you doing? And we learned, we learned. And he got drunk. But here's what I want you to see. Because Noah got drunk, and we know that drunkenness is a sin, we know that, that God, he doesn't condone drunkenness. Here's what we need to see. Ready? You want to jot this down somewhere. It gave, it gave an opportunity for the enemy to work his wickedness. See, there are a lot of us that go, hey, listen, man, I, I, listen, I, I drink and I, you know, I don't get drunk. I like, but we got to be careful because it gives opportunities for, that's all the enemy is doing. He's looking for opportunities in our lives to sneak in. That's all he's doing. Okay, Noah, oh, oh, hey, hey, guys, dude, look, Noah's drunk. Oh, God, we can use this, we can use this. Oh, wait, he's taking off his gold. Okay, what can we do? And he's looking for opportunities. And guys, I want you to see, that's the same thing he does in Ireland. He's looking for opportunities to work his wickedness. We have to see that, we have to recognize it. Let me give you a word of exhortation. Church, be careful, be careful. If you're married, be careful. Because what, what the enemy is looking for is an opportunity for him to come in and work his wickedness and dissolve your marriage. We have to, here's, here's what, guys, we have to, here's what I want you to do. If you're married, if you're married here, okay, you have to protect your marriage. You have to set boundaries, especially in every situation. Listen, you know, uh, when I was in, when I was in business, when I was in business, we had a furniture sales rep, a lady that would come. And of course she wanted my business. So she would say, Hey, do you want to go out to lunch? Let me take you to lunch. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go because I couldn't go with just her and I, because I want to protect my marriage. You go, well, Ben, there's nothing wrong with that. There is, but it's an opportunity. See, I want to be above reproach. Okay. That was back 20, 30 years ago. I don't even remember, but he, what about today? I'll tell you where it is today, okay? And I'll tell you where it starts. You've got to be careful. It starts on the phone. You know, hey, my ex friended me on Facebook. That's weird. Well, I'm not going to tell Nathalie because that's no big deal. We're just Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Are you guys tracking with me? What do we got to do? We got to protect our marriages and we got to protect them by not allowing that to go any further. 
What I try telling people is that you've got an enemy that wants to get and he wants to destroy your marriages. He wants to. And he does it very subtly. And you think, we're just friends. We're just friends. We're just, we're just friends. But the enemy goes, uh-huh, watch this. Watch this. So what do you do? You're honest, you know. You know, hey, sweetie, look, uh, you know, um, this is a text. This is what, you know, this is what they said. I want you to see because I want to be above reproach. I know this is how it is. This is how it is. Billy Graham employed one of the best ways, and our guys use it here, that, that pastors won't counsel a woman by himself. If there's a woman that comes up and says, Pastor, I need counseling. Um, first thing I'll do is I'll say, you, you need to talk to my wife. No, I want to talk to you. Well, can she be in there? You, you guys looking at me like you don't believe me. Pastor Bill can tell you stories of women who... Here's what, here's what he did. This woman said, Pastor Bill, listen, I'm going to come. And, and, and I'm not kidding you. Tells me this story blows my mind. He said, he said, she said, let's meet for lunch. I, I just need to talk to you. I just need to talk to you. And, and he goes, okay. And he shows up with his wife and the lady flipped out. She was livid because she had other intentions. You guys know what I'm talking about? So we got to protect our marriage. And again, Noah, what did we learn? He laid naked, he got drunk, and it gave an opportunity for the enemy to work his wickedness. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the wickedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. If you're taking notes, guide, the word saw means gazed with satisfaction. We're not sure what happened. We know that something happened, and uh, that's what it means. The text seems to indicate basically that, that he... He took some sort of satisfaction in ridiculing Noah. He's like, ah, look at you. Some, some believe that, some schools of thought believe that, that Ham, listen, some schools believe that Ham had some sort of sexual relations with his father while he was drunk. And I'm going to show you where they get that here in just a little bit, okay? So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. We learned a lot from Noah. Noah made mistakes, but even though he blew it, Peter still in the New Testament, calls him righteous. Why? Here's why. You ready? Because love really does cover a multitude of sins. You go, so what can we learn? What can we learn about sin? Well, here's what we can learn. Jot this down. Don't, be a, don't gossip about sin. Okay? Don't be a ham. Don't gossip. Oh, did you see? Oh, pss, 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 pss. Rather than share the offenses of others, could you exercise restraint and use discretion? Number two, don't overlook sin. Don't overlook sin or just sweep it under. Oh, well, that's how, that's how they are. You know what? Bring to light those things so that people can return to light. And number three, guys, offer forgiveness. Work on forgiving others for their mistakes. Don't let bitterness creep in. Those are the three things we can learn. So that's what we learned so far with Noah. And we come to chapter 10, guys. Um, these verses kind of give just the genealogy of Japheth and Ham and Shem and the peoples that they came from. So what we're going to do is going to take a few moments and then we're going, to, we're going to shift our focus to uh, chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. So if you're in chapter 10, say amen. And let's read. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, here we go, guys, were Gomer, Magog, Madi, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Okay? So if you're taking note, he had, Japheth had seven sons. Okay, and I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but Javon was the first one, and that's where we get the Greeks and the Romans and the French 
and the Italians and the Spanish and the Portuguese, okay? So if you have a Spanish descent, if you have some ancestors, you came from Spain, I know that my great 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 grandfather was Javon right here from Japheth, okay? So that's where they came from. If you have a little bit of French or you Italian, you know that's where it is. He also had a son named Magog, right? Where do we get Magog? If you want to jot this down, you have Russia and the Bulgarians. You have the Poles, the Slovaks, and the Croatians. All of these are in Magog. Then you have Madai, and that's where you get the Indians and the Medes and the Persians and the Afghans and the Kurds. Tubal is basically south of the Black Sea. Tiras are Germans and Anglo-Saxon and Jutes. And Meshach is really all part of, they, they use it in... Um, as Russia, Meshek, um, Moscow, and then Gomer is in the Celtic. So depending on where your people, where people came from, you go, oh, okay, that was the sons of Japheth, okay? Japheth. I had said, I had said something to Stephen, and I said, well, Stephen, you came from Japheth. He goes, he was good, right? Yeah, he's good. He's all right. He wasn't, he wasn't Ham. He goes, good. I don't want to be part of Ham. Now, verse six says, the sons of Ham were Cush. Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Now, again, notice who they are. You go, where are they? Mizraim settled the Egyptian people. So we know that Egypt had often fought with Israel. Okay, so they're the Egyptian people. Then you have Cush, and you have Sudan and Ethiopia. Put is actually Libya. Who was famous from Libya? Does anybody remember? Back in the day? Huh? Miramar Gaddafi, right? No? That's the one back in the 80s. Joe, yes, that's what I thought. And then, of course, now listen, here's where it's going to get, here's where it's going to get deep. Then he had a son named Canaan, okay? The Hivites, the Jebusites, the Ardavites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Hittites, the Sidonianites, the Perizzites, and the Zemarites all came from Canaan, all these ites, Okay? So I thought, well, let's grab some application from the sons of, of Ham. You ready? He had a son by the name, or, or basically a group of people called the Hivites, okay? H-I-V-I-T-E-S, jot this down. Their name means villagers, okay? This is what their name means, villagers. The Hivites are those who have limited vision. They love the things of the earth. They're known for something called hedonism. What's hedonism? It's the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. Now, why do I bring this up? Because here's the thing. This will often draw us away from Jesus. You go, what is it? It's the pursuit of pleasure. Our own central satisfaction. If we allow the Hivites to live in the land, they most certainly will kill us. You go, wow. Yeah, that's exactly who they are. It's hedonism in our lives. Oh, what about me? I want that. You go, what else? Well, he also had a son called the Jebusites. Jebusites. Okay, their name means threshers. The Jebusite means suppression of spiritual authority in fellow believers or legalism, right? Jebusite spirits tend to be people who do not hesitate to put down and humiliate others. By stomping on people, Jebusites make a concerted effort to pervert them from growing taller. They like to make people feel small. That's the, this is from Canaan. You go, what's that? I mean, first of all, they're legalists, and second of all, they're know-it-alls, and third of all, they go, they make you want to feel like, 
like you're small. Like, look at you. How could you even? That's, guys, that's the Jebusites. That's the Jebusites. Then he has another, what? He has another son. It's the Girgashites. Okay? The Girgashites, their name means clay dwellers. The Girgashites focus on earthliness and unbelief in what cannot be seen. The Girgashites, you go, what does that mean? This is the very thing that calls faith into question. If I can't see it, they say it must not exist. A Girgashite focuses on earthly things and very rarely seeks what God wants in his or her life. Their focus is down here. We can see a lot of that in the Girgashites. These are those people, the people who go, well, listen, I don't know about God. I can't see him. He must not exist. You go, what else? The Amorites. Okay, the Amorites. The Amorites, their name means mountain people. And Amorites, check this out, they're obsessed with earthly fame and glory. The Amorites. Amorites are fame seekers, seeking human glory and greatness. You can jot this down. They're prideful people. Look at me, I'm prideful. Look what I did. Look what I did. Then the Hittites. The Hittites. Their means sons of terror. The Hittites are subliminal torments, phobias, terror, depression, or deceit. Deceit. These are the Hittites. So again, this is where these these are coming from. This is a group of people, but this is kind of what it means. Then you have the Perizzites. Okay? Now check this out. The Perizzites. P-E-R-I-Z-Z-I-T-S. Everybody say Perizzites. Their names belonging to a village. That's what their names mean. You know, that's cool. They're known as the village people, right? And they all stay at the... Very good. There you go. Just kidding. They don't stay at the YMCA. Listen, the parasite spirit has told us to lie. Here's, here's what they did. The parasite spirit told us a lie that you are insignificant and that you're lazy and that you're not worth anything and that you've messed up so bad God could never use your life to change the world. Man, we can, we can pinpoint these people in our lives, can't we? Oh, man, that's the parasite spirit right there. He's saying that, man, listen, uh, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to amount. You're really. And, and no, 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 no. Listen, you are. You are worth everything to the Lord. And you will change the world. These are just a few. These are just a few. Now, remember what we learned last week, okay? What happened? Ham goes in. Ah! What does he do? Noah wakes up and he cursed. Who, who did he curse? Canaan? Right? He cursed Canaan, not Ham. Okay? And he said, listen, Canaan, you're going to be servitude to your brothers. The curse is going to last three to four generations. So here's what we need to learn. Canaan does not exist today as a nation. The other three nations exist. Egypt, Ethiopia, and and Libya. So they should be servants. Okay? But he also learned that Canaan had, right, the Canaanites. These are are people. And you go, what what does their name mean? Okay, their name actually means, check this out, the Canaanites are lowlands people. Canaanites are filled with addictions, listen, perversions, exaggerated people. Canaanite spirits are the spirits behind addictions and sexual perversions. You're like, those are Canaanites? Yeah. Here's why people believe that Ham had some sort of sexual relations. Why? Because out of Canaanite, we actually get Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where we get some. They're prescribed in Scripture as Canaanite cities. Now you guys know that you guys know the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And you go, wow. Look at verse 19 with me, guys. It says, And the border of the Canaanites was Sidon, as, as you travel to Gerar, as far as is Gaza, and then you go towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama, and Zebulium, as far as Lasha. Now, again, what can we learn? Okay? So, we know that Ham did something to Shem and looked, provoked him, ridiculed him. We know he did something. Can we agree? But now... We have a whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodomites. And I mean, and you guys know that God destroyed that. You guys remember that? Why? Because of their perverseness. The, 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 the perverseness. Pastor Bill thinks it's there at the bottom of the Dead Sea, right in that area. I cannot confirm that, but he says, listen, this is where Sodom was. And of course, if you go to Israel today, you'll see, you'll see that the salt, the, the Dead Sea is full of salt. And we know somebody who turned into a pillar of salt, right? Lot's wife. Very good, right? Why? Because she looked back. Now, we often give Lot's wife a hard time. Why did you look back, you silly old lady? But I believe her heart was for her, her children, and she looked back for them because something was going on. You go, can you confirm that? No, that's why I'm standing over here, just my opinion. Nonetheless, she looked back, and you go, well, what can we learn? Everybody say, what can we learn? Okay, write this down. Ham is their father, right? Ham is their father. Here's what I want you to see. Jot this down. What parents do in moderation, children do in excess. What parents do in moderation, children do in excess, good or bad. You go, what? Whatever Ham did took on a whole different, right, from, I mean, whatever he did took on a whole different from his, his kids. But the principle is simple. Whatever we do in moderation, whatever we do, our kids will do in excess, guys. Ham? Ham might have just been, right? Canaan? But now look, Sodom and Gomorrah, now you have a whole city that's perverted. Because, right, the Canaanites were addictions, right? And sexual perversions. Perversions. You go, well, Ben, now I'm really bummed because, I mean, I mean, no, here's what I want, here's what I want you to see. If whatever we do in moderate, now listen, you guys can see it, okay? You need to understand. Let's see, let's see, Joe, mm, I'm not sure if, if Coach, Noe, I'm not sure. I know Joe, um, I know Mark, I know Soph, um, definitely Tamri. We grew up. We grew up without phones. We didn't have a cell phone. It was it was just a, it was uh, it was just the most amazing thing. Listen, when we got a cordless phone, I would take it into the car and pretend it was a cell phone. I mean, it would, you would static, right? Can you hear me? I'm still. But it was tied. It was still tied to the wall, right? Here's the point, right? We didn't have that, but then the generation grew up with this, and now you see every kid have one. See what people do in moderation. And all of a sudden, the kids are going to do in excess. Now, be careful. Be careful, guys, because that's just phones. But think about, think about your life. Now, here's what I wrote down in my notes. You ready? Here's the thing. Let us, let us walk in excess. Let us walk with God in excess so that our kids will go beyond our walks. If, if what we do in moderation, kids are going to do, man, well, let's, listen, if we're going to love God, love God to the fullest so that they can see that. That's what I want to do. Listen, if they're going to follow me good or bad, I want to be good. I want to show them. 
I want to show them. Listen, I'm not, we're not going to sit here and be legalists. Listen to me, kid. Do as I say, not as I do. How about we live? How about we live righteous and godly and then let our kids do even better? Pastor, that's nice, but my kid blew it. I understand we're human. We make mistakes. There's, there's always, listen, eight, listen, number, new beginnings. God's going to give us second chance, third chance, fourth chance. But I, I want to live, guys. Now, my kids are grown, so what do I have? I have grandkids. I want to live. I want to live. I mean, I want to live in excess that my walk with God is so real to her that she wants to take it to the next level. Anyone here? Anyone else? Anyone else? Guys, that's, that's what we need to learn. That's what we need to learn. So what should we do? Well, guys, think about it. Worship and singing and preaching. Well, then we learned that Cush, notice Cush begot Nimrod, okay? This is part of the Canaanites, right? And he began to be a mighty one on the earth. When he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore he said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Everybody see that, Eric? And all of these other places, Kalnech and the land of Shinar, the land of Shinar. Okay, so Cush had a son named Nimrod. When we go to Israel, Adam and Tiffany, you're actually going to see Nimrod's castle way up in the mountain. We don't get to go there, but it's like, that's, Nim- that's Nimrod. This is right here. That's his castle. It's the coolest thing. But he was a mighty hunter, okay? What I find interesting is that he establishes Babel. He's a mighty hunter and a great leader, but he established Babel. We're going to see that in chapter 11, but he also establishes Nineveh. Who can tell me what happens in Nineveh? Jonah went to Nineveh, but Nineveh wouldn't repent, right? Well, they repented in the, at, the, at, at Jonah's preaching, but then just a, several, about 100 years later, they go back to their idolatry. As, I just find it interesting, Nineveh, Nineveh. Okay, moving on. Verse 22, then the, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Axphad, Lud, and Aram. Then you got, you got Elam had Arabia, Asher had Assyria, Lud had Lydinians, Amran had Aramaic, Armenia, Mesopotamia, and Syria. And after that is where Ax, Arphex, Ad is where Abraham descended from. So Abraham is going to come from Shem. We also get where the Jewish people from Shem. Okay? Now we say, we know that Noah said this in verse 26. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his Servant, the eldest son of Noah, from whom the Jews as well as the Semitic nations in general have descended. Descended. So this is the genealogy. We just picked a, some few. Okay. So keep going. We're going to jump into chapter eleven. Chapter eleven, guys, and we're going to see rebellion in the heart. Okay. So that's what's going on. He gives us this. Now it says the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Your attention, please. The first thing we learn from this is Shinar is the land of Babylon, even today, right? Babylon is modern-day Iraq. So here's what happens. There's a group of people, and they're going, hey, they're going to find a plane, and we know what it's like to have a plane. It's very flat, 
right, in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, here's what blows my mind. Guys, look at your Bible. In the New King James Version, it says, and they said to one another, come, let us. And, and, and that struck me very interesting. Why? Because it was, it's always been the Lord's come, let us make man in our image. Come, let us. And, and I don't know if man's trying to, you know, imitate God or whatever, but they're going, okay, here's what I do. Come, let us. Come, let us. What are we going to do? We're going to make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let's see if you're paying attention. Babel, right? Babel, Babylon, Babel right here, the Tower of Babel, it actually is comes from, who is the leader? Nimrod. Very good. You were paying attention, okay? So you go, well, Ben, listen, I got a question. What? Why are you tripping, dude? They're just They're just a group of people trying to build this tower and... Of course, you know, they want to make a name for themselves. Nothing wrong with that. They want to build a tower whose top is to the heavens. I mean, we know they're not going to get to heaven. Oh, why don't you leave them alone? Here's the problem. You guys ready? Because, first of all, their dad, right, their leader, Nimrod, his name actually means rebel. So he's a rebel, and we're going to see rebellion in the heart. Now, here's the problem. God had gave him a specific command, guys, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God told them that, Okay. What they said is they decided to settle in the plains of Shinar where Babylon is located. And here's the problem. This was a deliberate rebellion against God's word. Here's God's word. No, thank you. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, God says this. No, thank you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Guys, we can see we can see even that spirit today. We can see that God's word says this, this, and this, and I go, well, that doesn't really apply to me. And I've had many people come to me and go, see, me and God, we have we have our own connection. It's, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't include the word of God. We have our own little deal. No, no, no. See, that's sin. You can't do this. Here's where the word of God says, No, I'm all right. I'm okay. No. That's exactly what they were doing here at the Tower of Babel. They were direct, they were deliberate rebellion against God's word. Can anybody relate to doing that? I can. There are times when I just like, oh, I know God says that, but I'm going to do it anyway because it feels so good. Oh, it's so wonderful. And a lot of times, listen to me, church, and here's where we got to protect our mind. It happens in the mind. It happens in the mind. We start thinking things, and they're not pure thoughts, and um, it's, it's, in, it's in direct rebellion to God. You go, what, okay, what do they do? Well, they decided to unite and build both a city and a tower and you go, well, what were their purposes? You guys ready? Number one, to maintain unity in opposition to God. Anybody with me? And then they also said to make a name for themselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. Now, here's where, here's where I can tie it in today. Ready? Here's a big, big bow and a nice little knot. Think about this. We're headed that way even today in our country. We're headed that way. According to a video and a teaching that I saw from Pastor Jack Hibbs and Jen Markell, we're headed that way. You go, how so? Here's what they said, and I quote, everyone on the political scene, the, the giant political, the world political scene, now you've got to jot this down, is known as a globalist, okay? A globalist. Here's what they're, here's what they're saying. They want one world government, one world order, one world currency. We're, we're globalists. We need to make this happen. You go, okay. So what does that mean? Well, there's only one problem. There's one person standing in the way of a uh, of, of globalist, and that's our president. Our president is not known as a globalist. He's known as a nationalist. 
And that's why it's so amazing when you have the hat that says "Make America Great Again." He's saying, "I'm in. I'm in. I'm for America. I'm not. I'm not worried about the world. I want to make a world." Well, the problem is, is that every other political leader in the world says, "No, he's our problem. He's in the way. He's not with us. He's not. He's not a globalist." And you go, "Wow, wow, right." One person in the way. Now, whether you voted for him or not, or you like him or not, this I mean, right now, God is using him to keep... I mean, here's how I think God is using him. If the whole world goes global, then that opens the door for Jesus to come back soon, which I'm for. Amen? But what about the people that are not saved? So God is using this man to say, okay, I'm going to keep him as a nationalist so that I can still save as many as I can. It's our job to tell people. Jesus. It's our job. You go, what else? The purposes, right? I think the purposes of Babel or there in, in, in this tower are the same as today. It's just, here, here's what I think it is. I think the purposes seem to be the same. They're only packaged a little bit different when you agree, right? You go, what are they? Opposition to God. Opposition to God. Pride and to make a name for themselves to make a name for themselves. In the video, in the video, guys, they show um, Emmanuel Macron, right, the French president, actually walking on water and said, Savior of the world. And here's what we found out. It said that he is hated in France, but the world loves him. Pastor Ben, is he the Antichrist? I don't know. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him because it all ties into the revived Roman Empire for another day. Okay? So that's what's going on. That's how we can tie it in. It's happening. But what happens here back in our story, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men. I just love this verse, don't you? Why? Because it's like God had to come down to see what man is trying to do. God's like, what? We're building a tower. You're building a what? We're building a tower to reach you. Hold on. Let me come down there and see what you're doing. Because my God is so big, and I and and, and I just I, I just think about that, right? Here's what I want you to see: man's greatest attempts seem so small to a great God. I mean, that's what it is. And the Lord said in verse six: Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they can propose to do will be held with them, will help from them. Come, let us go down. Now, that's the Lord. Remember, come, let us. Go down and confuse the language. Who's the us? Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen? So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel, because the Lord confused their language all in all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. God came to see the city, the tower they were building. He perceived their intentions and his infinite wisdom. He knew there was no, quote-unquote, stairway to heaven. It would only lead to people away from God. So what does he do? He confuses them. That's where we have different languages. That's where we have different languages. Let's close with this. Let's close with this, guys. Let's close, with, uh, let's close our study, guys, with some lessons that we can learn from Babel. Okay? I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three. You, what are they? Jot this down. Don't put your don't put your Bibles away. We're still going. You go. What are they? Number one, we must learn obedience to God. We must learn obedience to God. Why is that important? 
right? Because the Tower of Babel, guys, was about convenience, not obedience. They were doing what was in their best interest. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. So what can we learn? God's called us to obey. God's called us to obey. That's the first thing. We must learn obedience to God. I, I, love, I love having my granddaughter in our house because the Lord teaches me a lot through her. It was last night I was sitting on my recliner and her mother told her to do something and then proceeded to tell her to do the same thing and a minute later told her to do the same thing and I thought, isn't that how we're like God? I mean, that's, aren't we like that with God? God says, hey, I want you to do something and we'll, we'll piddle around and we'll jump around and we'll go, God, I mean, we know you love us so we're, you're, we're not really going to do... And God says, no, I want you to go do this. And, and here's what I thought in my mind. It's not obedience unless it's first-time obedience. Eventually she, you know, what it was is go say night to Grandpa. Go say goodnight to Grandpa. Go say goodnight to Grandpa. But she wouldn't do it. She all wound up, but I was thinking, isn't that the same thing? Lord says, go do this, and we go, yeah, we should say, yes, sir, I love you, I'm going to go do it. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Because it's not obedience unless it's the first time. The second thing we need to learn, guys, and jot this down, is watch, watch out for pride and arrogance. See, this building project symbolized the arrogance of humans who, who wanted to be equal with God and seeking to be free from reliance on God. Hey, I don't want God. I don't need this. The people thought they could reach heaven on their own terms, and that's pride and arrogance. Jesus said, you, you need to come to me to get to the Father. And people go, no, 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 I got my own way. Listen, I meditate, and I do this, and here's the biggest thing. I'm good, so I could be... That's pride and arrogance. That's relying on you to try to get to heaven, where we should be going. God, I need to rely on you, man. I need to rely. I want to walk humbly before my God. Number... Number three, last one. Guys, we need to learn to give glory to God in all we do. Can I get an amen? You go, what do you mean? Drop this down. Check it out. Check it out. This blows my mind. When they built the Tower of Babel, they were using brick and mortar. You go, what's wrong with that? Guys, this was their, this was their attempt to bring glory to themselves. Why? Because brick and mortar, the, the literal term means let's, let's get a brick and burn it. That's what it means. Let's burn it, right? And they were using mortar, asphalt. What did God, here's a trivia, you ready? What did God tell Mo, uh, Noah to use when he built the ark? It wasn't asphalt, was it? Anybody know? All right. Pitch. It was something that he created. God knew that that would hold. You go, really? Yeah, now check it out, listen. They used man-made materials instead of the more durable God-made materials. Why? Because they wanted to bring attention to themselves. Look what I did. Look what I did. And what we need to do is we need to give glory to God in all we do. Oh, did you accomplish this? Amen. What did you do? Listen, if you're here today and you are plus six million in the bank, or you're here today and you're minus six million in the bank, all glory still goes to God. You guys know what I'm talking about? Whatever you are, whoever you are, no matter what you've done, you say, go, I'll go to this. Well, you, 
you did this amazing job. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's all God. Isn't it all God? It's all God. And there are times we want man's recognition, but really it is all God. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. And we just give you this last worship song with all of our hearts. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.